0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to
1: learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of July 29th, 2019. We are now just two days away from the Major League Baseball trade deadline, and the activity is picking up. Marcus Stroman has been traded to the New York Mets. It's a very surprising move, but are they also moving Noah Syndergaard and who on the White Sox would be of interest to any other teams? Well, our guest this week is RJ Anderson, Major League Baseball writer for CBS Sports, who will share what he has heard about the latest trade rumors and also about possible Major League Baseball expansion as he did a full report on the possible markets and why we'll see expansion, but it may take 10 more years until it actually happens. Speaking of the Mets, they are coming to the town this weekend, uh, this week I should say, to face the Chicago White Sox. We'll preview that series and answer your guys' questions in P.O. Sox. Jim is out for this episode as he's taking a much needed vacation away from the white Sox. And after this weekend, can you really blame him? So filling in for Jim is our guest host and I'm very happy. He was available and willing to step up. If you listen to 670 the score, you have heard him plenty. He's an executive producer for many of the shows there and a big white Sox fan. It's Herb Lawrence and hello, Herb. Thanks for filling in.
2: Josh, appreciate you inviting me and, uh, no one could feel that she was a gym, but I'm happy to be here for this week.
0: <laughs> so, the Twins series. Honestly, there isn't much to say, so we're not mm-hmm. going to really recap it. Uh, the White Sox were embarrassed except for Yvonne Nova's start, which, you know, of course, everyone expected that to happen. But during Sunday's debacle, I noticed her that White Sox fans in general are getting a little more testy than usual, getting a little tired of the where's Chuck Garfine segments and getting really tired of the fan shaming from Steve Stone on Twitter and Jason Benetti pretty much enabling him now to do it. Um, But you have unique insight on this very topic, working at one of the most popular sports talk radio stations in the country. Are White Sox fans starting to lose patience with this rebuild?
2: What I'm finding is the people who call into our station are very optimistic, really, which I find weird because, yeah, the first half of the season, you saw some things that you like. You saw the development of Johan Mancata, Timmy Anderson coming into his own. But you could tell, everybody knows, the roster's not deep, and it falls off the table, especially since uh, Yohan – I mean, since uh, Eloy and Timmy have been on the I.L., it's just falling off the table. So most of the people who have been calling in as of late surprisingly are positive. And I'm like, there's nothing really – the light at the end of the tunnel, unless we get Luis Robert, unless we get Nick Madrigal up here, and see a little bit of the future. Because this weekend, as you saw, you see a team, the Minnesota Twins, that are good currently, that are have developed some of their young prospects. And I referenced a tweet that you had the other day where it's just the White Sox are like ninth in organizational, um, uh, the minor leagues, but teams like mm-hmm. the Twins and the Dodgers – and the Astros are actually drafting people and then developing people. Like they're you know, getting a grade of like 40 and then going up to 60 after years of development. That's not happening with the White Sox. Now, I think we both me and you disagree with the the 50, I think, they gave for Luis Robert just staying stale, stale because I think he's jumped up a huge another level on the um, on the scale. But otherwise, they're right. The White Sox prospects, for the most part, Aren't developing. And so I would say most people who are calling my station are optimistic, but Twitter and the people I talk to, it's not very optimistic. It's very down on what Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams are doing right now. And the shakeup that happened with uh, Nick Hosta, they're getting this uh, promotion, I guess, <laughs> is kind of weird to me.
0: Well, that's the White Sox way, though. I mean, they haven't fired a general manager since 1990. And the guy before, I think it was Ron Schuler before Kenny Williams, uh, yeah. took a promotion. He was a special assistant to Jerry Reinsdorf. <laughs> so that's just what happens. You you either you become an ambassador to the team, and you like hang around <laughs> like Ozzie Guillen now doing TV work, or you become a special assistant to the general manager, like. Jim Tomey, for example, is a special assistant to Rickon. I don't know what Jim Tomey does, but he's got a title with the White Sox and he receives a paycheck from them in addition to the TV work that he does for MLB Network. It's nice work if you can get it. Now, when it comes to the TV broadcasts, they are running out of material. It's not their fault because they've had to broadcast blowouts these last two games. I mean, 14 pitches into today's game. The White Sox are already down five to nothing. Uh, I barely watched. I put the game on my phone and binged Brooklyn nine, nine, which is far more entertaining. Uh, But the White Sox last two weeks are a bad product. They are not entertaining. The games are terrible. Tim Anderson will be returning soon, maybe as soon as Monday and hopefully so will better baseball but if Anderson's return doesn't change things, Herb, fans are going to get more frustrated with what is happening, or they're going to stop watching and pay attention to the Bears' training camp practices, I feel.
2: Yeah, and there's only the one thing I think most Fox fans are waiting for, is the promotion, the well-deserved promotion of Louis Robert. That has to happen this year. I mean, I know we went through the whole Eloy thing last year, and so most of us are jaded and thinking that, they're going to hold him back for another year. But there's no reason to do this with Luis Robert. He's he's on their board, just like Eloy was. And we saw what Eloy this year, he came into the year and he struggled mightily. He struggled mm-hmm. big time. And then he you know, got injured. Then he came back. He's like, all right, I know how to do this thing. Now I understand what they're trying to do to me. I'm a professional hitter now. Here's some slugging for you. You know, the outfielding thing is still kind of questionable. But he learned – And he adjusted. I wish he would have learned last year in those September days and then went back to uh, the DR and came back as a freshman in April and said, okay, this is what they did to me last year. I will adjust this year so I can have a good start to 2019. And that's what I want Luis Robert to be having. Go back home after a good month, month and a half in the big leagues and understand what they're doing to me and see that you can compete at this level and then go back – and improve your weaknesses and build on your strengths. So that's what I'm looking forward to because there's no pitchers that's coming back up. Um, the pitchers that we have and I sent Dylan Covey back down to where he's supposed to be in A after a terrible performance. I mean, he can't, you know, he's Dylan Covey. He's got only, you know, his stuff that he throws. And the twins are like, that's not good enough. All right. So it's, it's the only thing I'm looking forward to with the rest of the White Sox season besides the – Continue growth of Yohan Mankata, kind of the return of him and, of course,
0: Eli. Right, and we'll see if they make that promotion, but I think you're right. I mean, you call these young kids up, especially if you are planning to compete in 2020. I still don't have a clear understanding if that is the goal for the White Sox. Do you have a understanding if, if that is what they're trying to do, is to now make this transition to go from rebuilder to contender in 2020?
2: I don't know if they if they can watch this past weekend's games and see that team at the top of the league or the, the top of the division and say, you know what? Next year, we're right, neck and neck with those people. Wow. I, I, like, pow. They've got more, much more talent than we do. Even if we bring up Eloy, I mean, have Eloy here and have Rudy Robert here and have Magical here. The twins are still a superior team, and we don't have a pitcher like we have one pitcher that we can depend on. Giolito, Lopez looks a little bit better, but two th- we don't have three of our five starters yet. Yeah, we're going to have C. back and we're going to have the return of Kopech, but that's going to be the first full seasons of pitching in the major leagues. So I'm not going to be banking that on those young arms because they're probably going to have innings limits too. So. I hope the White Sox – and it's already a year behind. It started a year behind the rebuild. I know everybody wants the 2020 thing to work and be the year that we're going to be competing. I don't see it unless they go and get some big-time players. And that's, you know, wishing the White Sox go and get some big-time players is like a pipe dream. We saw that with this offseason. They're not ready for it. I wish they could prove me wrong one time and just be the big market team that they are. But I don't see it. I just want them to realize that that is the cream of the crop, Minnesota and Cleveland. To get to their level, you got to do what Minnesota and Cleveland do: develop their prospects, go out and get a boomstick when the boomstick is available, and all you got to do is pay money. Instead of trading for Yonder Alonso, a young prospect, even though you know Alex Call is not the greatest of prospects, still you gave up a prospect to get a guy that is, you know, now playing in Colorado go and get Nelson Cruz instead and do what he does all the time is hit home runs, teach some young players. Like, and I can, you know, like they talk about Jose Abreu being the leadership. I'm sure that Nelson Cruz is in there with Polanco. is in there with Rosario is in there with Sano, trying to tell him how to be a professional, trying to tell him how to do things, how to go about a routine and, uh, those are the type of things that I think the Twins and whatever Rocco Baldelli and uh, the Falvey guy, the Derek Falvey guy, are doing up there in Minnesota, tip of the cap, because that team, like, if you look at them just indiv- the individual parts, you don't see a lot of great, high-talent people. I mean, they had to know in uh, Buxton as their top guys, but mm-hmm. guys like Kepler that are doing well, it's guys like Rosario doing well, Polanco's doing well. Those guys are coming through for you. Even CJ Crone was doing well for them. And so you know the development of Minnesota and what Cleveland keeps on doing with their pitching staff, and now their hitters are starting to get hot. That's what the White Sox got to look to and see what type of development is happening over there, and mimic them. Maybe like Minnesota, like Minnesota did with Cleveland, or yeah, did with Cleveland, take a guy off their staff that's like a, a guy underneath the guy, and. Just mimic what they're doing because what we're doing is getting former players, getting guys we know, getting a loyalty guy, and putting them in positions that they're not ready for. I don't know what Chris Getz does. <laughs> what I know he does doesn't do is develop good players. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's uh, you make a lot of good points. Uh, you know, back to the FanGraphs rankings, looking at how they ranked the prospects for the White Sox in 2018 with their future value grade, and looking at their 2019 grade. Uh, I I disagree with the 55 ranking of Luis Robert, and I'm sure that Kylie McDaniel is going to write a whole article post because in his chat, I asked him about it and it it was a very nice response. And he said he was going to write a little bit more about, you know, how you evaluate players that talented. Um, But yeah, Zach Collins was a 50 grade in 2018. He's 40 grade now. Alec Hansen has dropped off yeah. uh, all the starting pitchers. Jordan Guerra got cut by the White Sox. I mean, if you've been listening to this podcast for since the very beginning, we, we, we have wasted a lot of words. Now, look, listening back to those past episodes about Spencer Adams, and uh, Jordan Guerrero and Tyler, Tyler Danish, Danish. T- Tremiel Chesky, like none of these guys developed. So the White Sox are having a very tough time right now taking even 40 great players and making them better, as you mentioned earlier, Herb, like the Dodgers are today. And you mentioned the Twins and Indians. I think they do a good job. There's a whole other level above them in the Astros and the Yankees that sit in the American League that do it even better than those two franchises. So the White Sox at the moment are a little bit behind. And while Rick I think, is playing the slow game with the prospects and building this team still – Other squads, though, are starting to position themselves not just for this season, but they're making moves for next season. One of those teams is the New York Mets, who are coming to the South Side this week for a three-game series. On Sunday, in a very surprising move, the Mets acquired starting pitcher Marcus Stroman from Toronto for pitchers Anthony Kay and Simeon Woods Richardson. Neither are top 100 prospects. So if Stroman doesn't net a top 100 prospect, I don't think many available starting pitchers will. What do you think about the move the Mets made on Sunday, Herb, to acquire Marcus Stroman?
2: Unbelievable. I mean, they don't need him because, I mean, you you can use a great pitcher like Stroman's having a great year this year, but if the price is their fourth and sixth best pitchers in their their system, and like we said, that's not top-notch pitching what's going to be the market for Syndergaard? Like the Mets, that's an offer they couldn't, you know, turn down. Like, oh, what did we have to give you? Dumb show? Bad. All right. We'll just take Marcus Stroman off your hands. <laughs> exactly. And, even, and even if it doesn't work out this year, Marcus Stroman's still under contract. They can get rid of him in the offseason if they don't want him, or they can just keep him and just have Marcus Stroman come back to the Mets and rebuild and on the fly. And so, yeah, it's a great move for the Mets, and I applaud their GM for finally doing something right. The first time I I can give Brody uh, is a tip of the cap. But, yeah, I don't know what – like, it didn't make sense. The move doesn't make sense in, like, a competing way. Like, I would think that some team that was going forward would offer a better deal than just the two guys they they gave away. But further with the Thor thing, he's having a bad year. First bad year in, like, five, six years in the league – And so if Marcus Stroman goes for what he went for, the White Sox are well-positioned with the players that they have, or the San Diego Padres, of course. They are loaded in the minor leagues, and a guy like Thor would be perfect for them, a building team that has a lot of rookies in their rotation right now, first or second-year pitchers in their staffs, and Thor being the anchor for next year, where they're really thinking about going forward and competing with the Dodgers. So if I was the White Sox, I would try to get on the phone right now with the Mets and try to finagle a uh, way we can get Thor instead of going to San Diego Padres. San Diego Padres getting another guy that we should be getting on our squad. So um, I'm sure he won't take that much. I'm sh- he has, what, until 2022 on his deal, until he's a free agent. So the extra years might be the thing where you get a better deal for him than you get for Marcus Stroman. But... The White Sox have this and one of these de- one of these days we need to go and get a guy that's a top level guy. Maybe not the top guy, maybe a number 2 as he tops out, but still we don't have that on our staff right now and it's very um very skeptical if they're going to even try to get a guy like Derek Cole on the r- market or Odorizzi on the market. So this is only going to take traffic. I mean, uh prospects so try and get a deal with the Mets to get this guy here and have him for two and a half years of uh control that'll be their best move
0: for Stroman Anthony K Simeon Woods Richardson a comp for the White Sox if if the prospects were healthy and performing well would have been Dane Dunning and Luis Masabe deal yeah I would say every White Sox (laughs) fan would be like okay You could send Dane Dunning and Luis Masabe to Toronto for Marcus Stroman.
2: I mean, I'm a Dane Dunning guy, You know, and and when he was healthy, I thought he was pretty good. But yeah, if I get Marcus Stroman with a couple years of control, I'm good for that too.
0: Yeah, but obviously no one wants Dane Dunning at the moment because he's damaged goods. And Luis Masabe is having a terrible year in AA. This, again, is why... It was very impactful what happened to the White Sox prospects and their farm system in the first half with the injuries and the poor performances in Birmingham. It has really hurt their trade stock because I don't see the White Sox trading Robert or Kopech or Cease or Madrigal or Andrew Vaughn in any deal. And who is the sixth best prospect for the White Sox? Uh, I don't know. As you, as you mentioned earlier, Herb, it's like dropping off a table right now. For the White Sox prospects they got five top 50 prospects no prospect from 51 to 100 so that's how top heavy the White Sox farm system is currently a point that you made about the San Diego Padres and Noah Syndergaard I I think it's doubtful the White Sox make that type of move happen but every time teams or, or writers or media doubt the Padres about making moves they go ahead and they prove you wrong and they pull it off with the Padres, if the Padres were able to make a deal happen for Noah Syndergaard, would that make you more frustrated at the White Sox for passing up an opportunity to make an addition like Syndergaard and watch him being traded to a team that's in a similar position like the Padres again?
2: Yes, it would be, make me really mad because the Padres, is how the general manager and the managing partner and the owners act is the way I want Jerry Reinsdorf and Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn to act. Chris Paddock, they could have kept him down at a year for his, uh, for his service time. They started him on the major league roster day one. Same thing with Fernando Tatis Jr. No, no games, no, no extra years for a, a, a star like Fernando Tatis Jr. And Chris Paddock has shown exactly why he is their, one of the top pitching prospects coming into this year. And then if they go and get a guy who we know would help the White Sox, would be automatically – the top pitcher in the White Sox staff. Even though he is not the guy that he was years before, I think him coming to the White Sox and working under the tutelage of Don Cooper and getting his stuff right, I think maybe just a toxic environment in New York and stuff. And so he's getting, he's already got, his uh, pitching coach got fired. He's getting taught by an uh, old guy, Phil Regan, who knows his stuff, but, you know, he's 82, 83. So uh, a, a guy like uh, Don Cooper, who knows his stuff a little bit better and is into the game currently, would work out. A little bit more for our for our stuff, but if the Padres do this again, that's another guy. That's the third guy that should be a White Sox and is in San Diego: Tatis, Machado, and then Syndergaard. So, whatever AJ Prowler is doing out there in San Diego, whatever managing partner Ron Fowler is doing, I want the White Sox to do. That's why the Padres are like my second favorite team. I'll represent them <laughs> as the nationally team that I like and I follow. Because they do things right, they're exciting, they're fun, and they're coming. You can see the development happening in their minor league system. That's why they have one of the best.
0: And they have a tougher road than the White Sox, because they're trying to chase down the Dodgers. Yeah. And the, which is cream of the crop.
2: Yeah, and the Giants are got good all of a sudden, too, for some reason.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if the Padres make this move, again, they're not making it for 2019. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to beat the market and adding – starting pitching and we know that there's not many choices available in free agency. So why wait into the off season, make a move? They're trying to make it happen now. And I I applaud them. If they can pull this off before Wednesday, I I will be impressed. And again, I will be jealous of the Padres for making a move that I thought, the White Sox should make. Now, speaking as far as moves the White Sox should make, again, the trade deadline is this Wednesday, and we'll talk about Noah Syndergaard more with R.J. Anderson uh, with CBS Sports in a moment. Syndergaard is the probable starter now for Tuesday's game between the Mets and White Sox. It was originally supposed to be Wednesday, but that start has now been moved up to Tuesday, We'll talk about that in a moment, but for the White Sox point of view before Wednesday's deadline, Herb, do you see Rickon making any moves?
2: Yes, there is no reason for John Jay to be on this team past Wednesday. Okay, he is a he is the perfect guy for a contending team be a fourth outfielder guy you can bring off the bench as a pinch uh, runner, good bat off the bench. There's no reason for him to be on the White Sox. I mean, the the pitch was for him to bring in Manny Machado to bring him to the White Sox. That didn't happen. He's having a decent year with the bat. He's our cleanup hitter now. The, that happened on Sunday. <laughs> um, that was weird. Um, but you know, Rick Renteria. What, what can you do? So there's no reason for him to be on the team. He's a good guy, I guess. A good team leader, clubhouse chemistry, all that garbage. No reason for him to be on the team. So if Rick doesn't get rid of him, and uh, him to some other team for a low-level prospect. That's a middling. I'll be disappointed. There's no reason for him on the team. Um, I would love for Alex Colome to go to some other team because, firstly, I'm I know GMs are not dumb. They see the peripherals on him. That what he does is good, but the stuff, the fielding, the, the pitching, um, the numbers are. He's gonna the corrections gonna be had, and so. I don't want that correction to be on the White Sox time. I want some other GM to see the only one blown save. I want the the other GM to see that, oh, man, we can get this guy who'll be eighth, ninth inning guy. Cool. And throw us a guy, maybe not a top 100 guy, just past top 100, bring him back to the White Sox. That'll be perfect. Now, a lot of people disagree with me on this, but the Aaron Bummer thing, great. I love his development. That's one thing White Sox have been able to do is turn bullpen arms into some success stories. Last year with Jace Fry, now he's kind of a, a four ERA guy. But Aaron Bummer has slowly come on. He was like a three and a half last last year. Now he's in the ones and he's he's a true pitcher. He's killing people. And so if they can find somebody to overpay for Aaron Bummer, cool, move him. But you know, if there's no reason, there's no urgency to move Aaron Bummer. He's got a lot of control. He's a young pitcher, left handed out of the bullpen. You can probably have him as a possible closer if you do trade away um, Alex Colome. So those three guys will be my top of my list, and they're not going to trade Jose Abreu. So that's a pipe dream for me because they love Jose Abreu for some reason. He's a good leader. He's mm-hmm. a good guy. He's been here for five and a half years. I love his service to the White Sox. It's been great, but he's thirty what thirty three now. It's, it's I think we should just move on from him because he's he's not having a great year this year. Despite the all-star nod, he's not the guy he was his rookie year, his second year, all those years. Even though he won a silver slugger last year, wasn't that great of an offensive year for him last year. And so it'll be great if they find a guy or find a team that wants Jose bringing what he does at first base um, on on their team. And he wants to come back in the off season. If they – do they really want to do that, trade him, get a prospect, get somebody hit in here, and then come back in the offseason, I'll begrudgingly say fine because he's a, a White Sox guy. He loves the atmosphere here. And he brought guys like uh, Luis Robert. That's one of the guys that came here because he had a fellow Cuban here. And he tutored Joan Moncada. So those are good. But if they find a partner, they find a way to move him, I wouldn't lose any sleep over
0: it. For me, I got two trade predictions mm-hmm. one Alex Colomay to the Washington Nationals for starting pitcher Will Crow he's currently in AAA right now uh, and another prospect but Will Crow is a 45 future value grade pitcher mm-hmm. uh, so he's right right around right around the level of Dane Dunning but it helps the White Sox for a starting pitching depth and I said this a few weeks ago and some of the listeners were making fun of me for this but the way that he pitched in July I think Ivan Nova can help the Milwaukee Brewers and I think the Brewers should okay. should acquire Ivan Nova. I know that really hurts the White Sox after the trade deadline losing another starting pitcher, but honestly in this for the rest of the season, this is all about the kids. Yeah. This is all about Giolito, Cease and Lopez. Whoever pitches the other two games, it does not matter because they don't have anyone else. Maybe we see someone like Kyle Kubot but for the rest of the season, I mean, they're not chasing down a wild card, and they're not chasing, obviously, for the American League Central. And I don't think they're as bad as the Royals and Tigers, so they're going to sit at third place. Uh, but I think if they can get anything for Ivan Nova, because I don't expect him to come back, uh, you can get at least something in return for Nova. Nova could help out a team like the Milwaukee Brewers. I don't expect him to start any postseason games by any stretch of the imagination, but I think Ivan Nova could help a team out, especially at the number five starter spot, and the White Sox can get something in return. So those are the two deals that I see happening before Wednesday. And as I mentioned before, the White Sox, again, they're 46 and 57 on the season as they face the New York Mets. We'll quickly touch on the Mets-White Sox series as there's just really two key questions as, again, the Mets have changed up the rotation a little bit. Your probable pitchers for this series between the White Sox and Mets, Tuesday and Wednesday, are night games. Thursday is an afternoon game. On Tuesday, it is Noah Syndergaard against Ronaldo Lopez. On Wednesday, this is a juicy matchup. It is Jacob DeGrom against Lucas Giolito. Mm. And on Thursday, it is Zach Wheeler against Dylan Cease. Wow. Question number one, will Noah Syndergaard, her, be making his start for the Mets on Tuesday?
2: Yes, he will. I believe he will. I don't think anybody will pull the trigger on a trade before uh, before Tuesday's game versus the White Sox. I think he will pitch for the New York Mets that night.
0: How many scouts do you think will be in attendance for that one?
2: At least nine.
0: At least nine. Yeah, I was going (laughs) to say
2: 12,
0: 15. There will be a lot of scouts in attendance sitting behind home plate watching Noah Syndergaard.
2: I mean, with the information you brought to the table today about Marcus Stroman and what he went for, I'm sure every team is salivating now. I mean, the Mets saw the market. That's what what he's going for. So, I mean, I know some might say that, that Syndergaard might be a grade a tick higher than... Stroman is, but this
0: year probably not. So then the second question, will Zach Wheeler make his start on Thursday for the Mets?
2: I believe so. I think how the Mets are uh, hell bent on getting Syndergaard somewhere else and they'll be putting all their efforts towards trading him and Zach Wheeler will start that game. I wish we can get instead of Zach Wheeler I don't know when last time he pitched, but Marcus Stroman pitching at the U.S. Cellular guaranteed rate on one of these days. That would be so great. I love his style.
0: Yeah, that that would be fun. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, as we'll hear more about Noah Syndergaard as we will recap the series on Sox Machine Live on Thursday night as Jim comes back from his vacation. Herb and I will answer your guys' questions later in the show during PO Sox. But let's talk a little bit more about Noah Syndergaard. Let's discuss possible MLB expansion next. With our guest from CBS Sports, Major League Baseball writer, RJ Anderson joins the Sox Machine podcast. Before we talk to RJ, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Baseball season is well underway and there's no better place to get your tickets than on SeatGeek as SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you are willing to pay. And there's nothing quite like being there in person. SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. And speaking of being there in person, SeatGeek surveyed baseball fans from all 30 teams about the stadiums in the league, which stadiums are the best experience and the best hacks, like where is the best food? How do you handle traffic? They ranked it all. And if you want to know how each team ranks, go to SeatGeek.com. Slash stadium guides to find out what fans said about Gary T rate field or any of the stadiums. Again, that's SeatGeek.com slash stadium guides. But whether your team is ranked high or low, make sure to get out to a game this season with SeatGeek and to help you get even more savings on tickets. Our listeners get ten dollars off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SOCKSMACHINE. That's promo code SOCKSMACHINE for ten dollars off. Your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. A couple of weeks ago, I visited Portland, Oregon with my buddies to just hang out, get out of Chicago for a bit, go on a hike, drink some beer, visit a new city. It also happens to be that the city has a team of people and investors trying to lure a Major League Baseball team. My takeaway is that yes, Portland would be a good choice for a new Major League Baseball franchise. While on the smaller size for markets, there is a rabid fan base that is loyal to the Portland Trailblazers, the Timbers and Thorns, the soccer clubs. And watching a Timbers match, I was surprised on how enthusiastic fans were when it came to soccer and asking fans sitting nearby at the game about the opportunity for a Major League Baseball team to come. They were just as equally excited about the idea. So what are the chances that Portland gets a team or how about any market? Well, join us to discuss the topic of expansion in Major League Baseball, plus everything else that is going on in baseball today as we are inching closer to the trade deadline is Major League Baseball writer from CBS Sports. It's RJ Anderson. And hello, RJ. Thanks for coming on the Sox Machine podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: As I mentioned in the intro, I think Portland would be a good pick for Major League Baseball to set up shop for a new team. Or if Oakland or Tampa was looking to move, Portland would also be a good choice to settle. You wrote in great length about this topic on CBS Sports and looking at the different ways that team or the league can expand and how cities can gain one of these teams, especially in detail about the Portland market. Do you think Portland is a viable landing spot for a new major league baseball franchise?
1: You know, it's a complicated topic. And just in terms of what you mentioned earlier, the rabid fan base, uh, you know, the corporate support that they would likely have there because of the athletic manufacturing where, you know, the athletic wear manufacturing giants that are headquartered there. And, you know, some of the other factors, I do think that they make a lot of sense. If major league baseball were looking for an expansion or relocation market now, with that said, there's a lot on the infrastructure, um, you know, front that needs to be dealt with in terms of like public transit and, you know, making sure the stadium site works. And, you know, there's also the money aspect, which I'm going to kind of hand wave off here, but that's obviously a very big detail here. But if you're just asking, you know, does Portland make sense on paper based on, you know, some of these factors, then I would agree that, yeah, they make a lot of sense and you could perhaps argue that they make the most sense out of, the American markets out there.
0: In the piece, you mentioned that Portland lost their AAA team because local government couldn't secure a new place to play in the city. Uh, instead, the government decided to opt in, in spending the money to renovate what is now known as Providence Park in downtown Portland uh, to renovate that stadium for the Major League Soccer Clubs. Do you get a feeling that if Major League Baseball approached Portland that the city would be serious about making the necessary investments to getting a deal done and to be able to bring a team?
1: So right now they actually have a bill that uh, was established back when they were trying to lure the Montreal Expos to Portland, and that would guarantee I think up to like $150 million in public funding based on you know income taxes of players and personnel who would work for the team. However, the local Democrats are actually trying to repeal that bill So it's a kind of a complicated situation. You know, it seems like we're really heading in a direction where people are a little wiser about how these stadiums are subsidized and, you know, some of the drawbacks of doing that. So, you know, I don't want to say for certain that Portland's local government would be on board with this, but, you know, the money is there, at least for the time being. And I think that, you know, they would probably be able to reach another deal if even if this still were repealed. So, you know, I think that, yeah, um, there's probably a fair chance that, they would be able to secure some amount of public funding, but you know, talking to economists and people who are really familiar with the subject, you know, subject matter experts, so to speak, you know, they've noted that since the recession in 2008, we've seen um, cities pick up less of a tab for stadium costs. Now, that's not to say that they're not spending money on stadiums. And keep in mind, stadium costs have went up, but as a term of a mm-hmm. percentage, you know, local cities seem to be, you know, wising up, so to speak, on how this works and the pros and cons of funding a stadium.
0: Now the good news would be Seattle would get a close neighbor because their travel schedule is well-documented. The Seattle Mariners travel more miles every single season than any other team at baseball. Yeah. The bad news is, is that they would get a local neighbor. Uh, Portland is, I mean, it's right on the border and I didn't know this until I visited the city. I mean, it's right on the border of Oregon and the state of Washington uh, if portland were to get a team do you think this would be an american league team or maybe a situation similar to what we see in the multiple markets like new york and chicago and los angeles and even dc where portland would become a national league team so the seattle mariners can still recoup some of their market size
1: that's a good question and i guess it would depend on whether this is an expansion team and or a really located team you know if Tampa Bay, say, moves there, you know, you're talking about an American League franchise. So would they shuffle a pre-existing AL franchise to the NL? Would they expand? You know, I don't know. It just kind of depends on uh, factors beyond this. But I guess if you're, you know, trying to maintain that AL-NL, not synergy, but, you know, the balance or what have you in terms of, like, you know, not having two AL teams within driving distance of each other or what have you, then, yeah, I guess it would make sense for them to be an NL, NL squad. And I guess you would try to plop them down in the National League West. Although, you know, again, how that would shake out, you know, maybe you, I don't know. I, I guess it's an interesting question. I really hadn't thought of that aspect, to be honest with you.
0: Now, are there any other likely landing spots that are in a good position, like the city of Portland, to land a new Major League Baseball franchise?
1: Yeah, I think Montreal is an obvious one. You know, they obviously have a history of the game, having had the Expos for decades upon decades. And, you know, they have prospective owner lined up and Steven Brothman, whose dad obviously helped found the Expos. And he was actually uh, given the chance to take over the Expos before Jeff LeLoria did, according to the New York Times. But, you know, for whatever reason he elected against that. So they've actually, you know, made progress on a potential stadium site and, you know, the Bronfman family is loaded. So I don't think money should really be an issue. And it's just a matter of, you know, kind of working out those details. And of course, you know, this two stadium solution proposal by the Tampa Bay Rays kind of makes everything a little bit more complicated when it comes to Montreal, because, you know, you don't want to necessarily, if you're major league baseball, that is, you don't want to necessarily eliminate one of your top potential relocation or expansion markets for 40 games a season. So Mm -hmm. again, you know, there's a lot going on here and to be clear i don't think expansion will happen right. until after they have stadium deals worked out for both the rays and the athletics and then you know coming down the pipe you're going to have stadium talks for the angels and diamondbacks if you read the tea leaves so you know there's a lot going on here it's not as easy as just saying we want to expand you know there's a lot of leverage and negotiations and um you know red tape and you know just pragmatism and all that good stuff worked in here logistics and all that so i think that's enough Buzzwords for me uh, on this answer, but yeah, there's just a lot going on underneath the hood, and I don't want to, you know, mislead anyone and make them think that you know in 2022 or whatever there's going to be a team in Portland and a team in Montreal. It could be, but you know, let's be realistic here, and you know, let's not uh, bet on something happening a little quicker than it probably will.
0: What is a realistic timeline, though, that we could see Major League Baseball expand to 32 teams?
1: Good question. I guess I would say over the next decade, and I'll go back to what I was saying about the, the Rays situation because remember you know, they have a very unique lease agreement with the city of St. Petersburg. It's a use agreement rather than, you know, just uh, the standard lease. And that agreement states that the Rays cannot play their games anywhere but St. Petersburg until the 2027 season ends. Now, you know, perhaps the Rays work out an agreement with the local government, you know, Mayor Rick where they can break that lease or, you know, Modify it or what have you, and I think that he has said he's willing to do that if they're willing to pay or what have you. But until then, you know, they really can't do anything. You know, they can't play half their games in Montreal. They can't get a new stadium elsewhere. They have to basically stay in St. Pete. So if you're being, you know, uh, conservative here, you could say, well, that race situation could drag out until perhaps later in the 2020s. You know, it might not be they might not move or get a new stadium until 20. 20- 28, 2029 2030 or what have you so yeah i don't think major league baseball is going to expand until after there's kind of a deal worked out for them so we could be talking another decade before this is realistic but i do think that at some point in our lifetimes yeah we're going to see major league baseball expand to 32 teams and you know i believe this is the longest they have went without expanding since uh, you know the first wave of expansion back in the 60s so i don't want to say it's overdue because again it's a complex issue you never want to make it that simplistic but When you see the NFL go to 32 teams, you see the NHL go to 32 teams. In time, the NBA will probably go to 32 teams as well. So I think that you're going to see this expansion come sometime in our lifetimes. But, yeah, it might be up to a decade before we actually see it happen.
0: Now, looking at the present and what is going on with the league, obviously everyone's talking about the Major League Baseball trade deadline. And I know that you've been keeping an eye Yeah. On the upcoming deadline, RJ, let's start with the big news items first, and this is coming out of Queens. It sounds like the New York Mets are seriously willing to move starting pitcher Noah Syndergaard. Do you think that this is a possibility, or are the Mets again blowing smoke into the rumor mill?
1: Well, I've been told earlier in the month that Syndergaard was absolutely available, and I was told earlier this week that they are aggressively shopping him, and Honestly, when I was told earlier in the month, I figured there were slim odds of him being moved before July 31st. But now, you know, that the efforts have ramped up, so to speak, I think that it's perhaps more likely. And I don't want to get anybody's hopes up and say, oh, yeah, he's definitely on the move before July 31st. But, you know, if you look at it, there are some teams where it'd make a lot of sense. And I have him, you know, pegged as the number one guy available, a guy who... You know, he's basically a video game pitcher, right? You know, big body, big stuff. You look at his numbers this season, and yeah, the ERA isn't pretty, but, you know, he's playing in front of, I think, the second-worst defense in baseball. And he has, you know, a below-average framer behind the plate. And, you know, you hear murmurs about how he really hates that Mets organization. And, you know, you just envision him going to, say, San Diego or Houston or, you know, one of these organizations that have a better reputation and flourishing again, becoming – you know, an ace or at least the number two starter again. So, I don't know that he's necessarily going to get moved before July 31st. But I will say that I've kind of internally moved those odds up over the last week, week and a half. And it wouldn't surprise me if it happens. But again, it wouldn't surprise me if we're still talking about this in the winter. I do think that he will be moved before the start of the 2020 season. However,
0: wow, wow, yeah. Because I, I was just going to bring that point up because obviously with the White Sox back in 2016 there was maybe some hope when the team was really starting to take a turn for the worst that maybe they could move Chris sale before the trade deadline. Obviously that didn't happen, but those negotiations continued for the rest of the season between teams and the white Sox were able to find a suitor in the winter Uh, but yeah Noah Syndergaard I mean if he went to Houston RJ I I think that would be a tremendous move for the Astros right they would find a way to unlock something in Syndergaard like they've done for Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander
1: yeah I mean you know they certainly do have a good track record when it comes to enhancing the players they acquire and you know especially when it regards to veteran pitchers and their pitch mix excuse me and all that good stuff now you know I think he's intriguing for teams other than Houston as well because we're talking again about a guy who has ace potential two and a half seasons remaining in team control and yeah he's going to make some money through arbitration but let's be clear he's going to make far less than his market value and you know you look around the rest of the trade market you have guys like Marcus Stroman you have guys like Robbie Ray, Mike Miner, Trevor Bauer and you know they all have their pros and their cons but none of them offer that additional season of team control the way Syndergaard does so You know, there's certainly some risk here. You know, he's had injury issues in the past. There's no guarantee that you know he's going to click personality-wise with your organization. And yeah, sir, there's no guarantee that he's necessarily going to live up to that upside or his past performances. But if I were a general manager, you know, I'd have him as my number one target. And you know, if I'm hearing that the Mets are, you know, aggressively shopping him, again, if I'm another general manager, I'm probably getting on the phone and seeing what I can work out because. You know, it's like that Billy Bean line for Moneyball. The day you wake up saying we have to deal, make a deal is the day you're going to make a horrible deal. If the Mets feel like, hey, we have to move this guy before July 31st, odds are they're not going to get a fair return because, mm-hmm. you know, they could take this to the winner and then you can get every team involved, or at least more teams than you're going to get involved at July 31st deadline. So, it's a, again, it's a complex situation. I'm, I wouldn't be willing to bet on him moving before July 31st, but it really... It wouldn't surprise me if a team like San Diego or one of these other organizations steps up and makes a deal. I mean, even Atlanta, if they're willing to deal with him in the division, can you imagine Atlanta consolidating some of their prospects' war chest and oh, wow. you know, going out there and getting sore and throwing him over the front of the rotation? I mean, that would be ridiculous. But, yeah, I think there's a there's a fair chance. I just won't say it's a given.
0: Yeah, Ian Anderson has been pitching very well down in the Atlanta yeah. Braves system. So maybe Ian Anderson is good enough to headline a package for in interdivisional trade. I mean, that would be quite the blockbuster. So keep an eye. We'll keep an eye on Noah Syndergaard throughout uh, as far as up to the trade deadline. The other team that I, I can't get a good read because they've been playing so well as of late that they may have moved from sellers to buyers. And that's the San Francisco Giants. And I say that with a question mark because, again, I can't get a good read on the Giants, RJ. But how much do you think as far as this being manager Bruce Boshi's last season? Is weighing on the front office's decision to sell or buy before the July 31st deadline?
1: Yeah, I'll address that in just a second. I wanted to note that Ian Anderson, at least what I've been told by two different teams, is he, that he's been floated in trade talks ahead of Kyle Wright. So there's actually you know, some reason to believe that he would be available in a Senegal deal. But uh, with regards to the Giants, you know, that's a really interesting situation because this is Adi's first season as general manager, and he obviously has a history of making or at least contributing to you know, cold, calculating decisions. And, yes, this is Bochy's last season, but keep in mind, you know, a couple months ago we were looking at this roster and saying, wow, they're sending Bochy out with this roster? You know, it doesn't look like a good roster on paper, uh, with the exceptions being, you know, right now the rotation and the bullpen and I guess some parts of that lineup. I I mean, you look at the names in the outfield, you know, Alex Dickerson and Mikey Stremski and uh, Austin Slater. and I mean, come on. You know, if we were told a few months ago that we'd be talking – And uh, talking about them and, like, praising them and all, I think people would have said, yeah, right, you know, whatever. Uh, That said, you know, it's a really interesting situation for them because how much do you prioritize winning this season and taking this chance versus trying to do what's best for the organization over the long haul? And, frankly, I'm kind of open to the idea that winning the season and going forward a little bit is perhaps what's best for the organization because, you know, right now – Across the league, everyone talks about wanting to build a sustainable winner. But the reality of the situation is you cannot have 30 sustainable winners at once. You cannot have 20 sustainable winners at once. Like, there are going to be down teams, and they're going to be up teams. And I think, to some extent, chasing that sustainable model can lead you astray. Because say you're, you know, the San Francisco Giants, they have the resources to be a sustainable winner. But say you're, you know, I don't know, the Milwaukee Brewers, okay? You're never going to spend more than the Cubs you're probably not going to outsustain sustain them and the Cardinals at once. So realistically, you're always looking at a situation where, you know, you might have your best chance in front of you. You may not be in the situation in a year or two where you were an annual contender. So I think that the Giants need to be, you know, cognizant of that, cognizant of the fact that, yeah, Baumgartner may leave this offseason and you may not extend him, but you can also recoup that draft pick. So I don't know, it's a very, you know, it's very interesting. Frankly, when I look at the roster – I'm of the mind that they're not going to win a wild card spot and I would probably sell, but the human element should not be ignored here. Uh, you know, irritating the clubhouse, irritating Bochi, irritating your fan base. Those are not good things, you know? So it's complicated. I kind of think they might still sell, but we'll see. And then, you know what, if they end up buying, that's pretty cool, right? Because a month ago, none of us would have expected this. And you almost want to see teams who try and who do bold things rewarded for it, because then, you know, maybe it opens the door to where more of these non-competitive teams are taking chances and trying to win rather than just talking a big game about building sustainable winners.
0: Now, putting your prediction hat on, which trades do you foresee happening before the deadline that could bring the most impact on the postseason races?
1: Oh man, the the trades that I see the most likely happening. Well, I think you always have to start with rental players, right? Uh, In terms of likelihood to actually be dealt. So, like, a guy like – I know this is not the most impactful one, but I think the guy that I'm most sold on being moved before the deadline passes is Chris Martin. He's a reliever for the Rangers. I think he's 33 years old. Uh, Because of his contract, he has to be released at season's end. So, we're talking about an impending free agent. And he's having a very good season. I know Texas has been, you know, actively shopping some of their pitchers. And I think that you're going to see a team take him on because he kind of fits what teams want nowadays in the relievers, you know lively mid-90s fastball or rise. And you can slot him in as your seventh inning guy. You can slot him in as a middle reliever. And, you know, it's just easy to foresee a team like the Dodgers trading for him and slotting him in and everybody talking, talking him up during October, then him landing a multi-year deal during the offseason, you know. Uh, in terms of, like, guaranteed impact, though, huh. I guess I would say if Yasiel Puig gets moved, and I'm not sure that he will get moved, but if he gets moved, I think he's the top hitter who's likely to be moved.
0: And then finally, shift over to the Chicago White Sox. Obviously, they are not going to be buyers before the trade deadline. But is there anyone on the roster that you think attenders may want for the stretch run?
1: I'll give you two names. Uh, One I think is pretty likely to be moved, and that's Alex Colomay. Everybody's familiar with Colomay now. He's uh, put together a track record of being an effective leading reliever. And he's a pending free agent. You know, you saw last winter they acquired him for Omar Nebrias. And I don't think they're going to get that in return, but I do think that he has enough appeal Two contenders they get a decent return for a rental reliever. Another name that I would shop around, and I don't know if they actually are. I haven't heard if they are, but James McCann, because you know he's having such an uncharacteristically good season, and I guess, you know, the pessimist in me says, Oh, he's not gonna repeat this next year. So shop him around, take the temperature, see if you can get a good return on him, and then, you know, if you do, obviously trade him. And if you don't, well, you bring him back next year, whatever, and you know, see if you can repeat this season. But I think those are the two names. Otherwise, You know, I really don't expect the White Sox to be too active. I really haven't heard their name come up at all. And maybe that's just me not having the right sources in the right places as it pertains to the White Sox. But it could also just be a matter of them kind of realizing that, you know what, we've had a lot of poor injury luck in the minor league front. It's delayed some of our prospects' arrival. But heading into next season, you know, we're going to try a little bit more uh, this winter to be aggressive on the major league free agent front. And then, again, heading into next spring, maybe we can compete. You know, maybe they're looking at the Twins and saying, you know what, what they did isn't too far different from what we can do. And, you know, that's almost aspiration in a sense, but maybe if we attack the off season a little bit more aggressively, add a couple of veteran players in the right spots, you know, maybe we can uh, make a run at these run at this thing. Excuse me. Cause you know, Cleveland, they're not going to spend money. You know what I mean? Like Cleveland's, you know, shopping around Trevor Bauer right now with an eye on saving a dime next year. So, right. Yeah. I think the white Sox, uh, they're in an interesting spot as well. Again, some bad luck on the minor league front, but I think they have to – I think they really should take the temperature on James McCann. Otherwise, I don't really see a lot for them to do.
0: Man, what a winter meeting would it be if the New York Mets are trying to move Noah Syndergaard and the Cleveland Indians are trying to move Trevor Bauer. Yeah. In addition of all the teams trying to chase for Garrett Cole, uh, that would definitely make this upcoming offseason far more interesting uh, than what it looks like right now. But you touched on as far as the White Sox, you know, their aspirations – Do you have confidence that they are close to moving from where they are today as a rebuilder to becoming a contender uh, maybe as soon as next year?
1: And I don't want to say I'm confident in them becoming a contender next year because, you know, we have a lot of distance to cover and they have a lot of additions to make. But I think that they should be nearing that point. And if they kind of play it safe and low and slow during the winter, I'm going to be a little annoyed because, you know, at some point you have to get off the treadmill and join the race. And that franchise has obviously been rebuilding for a number of seasons now. And, you know, I don't believe that you need to take five years to rebuild anymore. I don't believe that. And sometimes it's just a matter of spending money. I mean, I wrote a piece last year about the 2003 Detroit Tigers, you know, the worst team in expansion, uh, recent history, excuse me. And, you know, they were in the World Series three years later, and it wasn't because they really hit on a lot of draft picks. It wasn't because they developed a lot of great young talent. It was because they went out there and acquired veterans and actually made an effort. And I think that that's kind of missing right now in major league baseball. You know, look at the San Diego Padres, they made an effort and we applaud them. And you know what, they're still kind of hanging around the playoff race. It's not likely they'll make it this year, but they made an effort. And, you know, the Cincinnati Reds, unfortunately it doesn't look like their records ever going to reflect their run differential, but they made an effort. And so you can kind of almost, you know, you can kind of look at these examples and say, well, I don't know. I guess what I'm really trying to say is I hope the White Sox do make an effort because it's a lot more interesting that way. And I think they owe it to their fan base because, again, y'all guys have stuck by them for a couple of years now, a couple of rough years. And it's always cool to see teams kind of reward that patience and that faith that the fan base shows in them.
0: Well, you could follow RJ on Twitter. I highly recommend it because he does great work covering Major League Baseball. He's at R underscore J underscore Anderson on Twitter. And you could read his excellent work on CBS Sports. Dot com, as he will be covering the latest in Major League Baseball, especially all the news and rumors leading up to the trade deadline. And RJ, I'm really appreciative of your time because I know this is a busy period of the season. So thank you for coming on the Sox Machine podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, and I apologize for my rambling.
0: A quick word from our sponsor, Wix.com. Let's say you run a small business or thinking about launching one, or you have a big event upcoming like a wedding. Or maybe you want to get your voice heard and decide to launch your own blog or podcast. You'll need a website to help launch, and there is no better place to get started than at Wix.com. Over 140 million people use Wix for their website because it's easy to get started and publish for free. You can choose from 500 stunning templates. Or if you have some design chops, you can make your own from scratch. With built-in SEO tools, you can get your website found online easily on google and every site is automatically optimized for any device whether you're looking at it from a pc or mobile device wix even has built-in tools like storage custom domains custom email addresses marketing tools and e-commerce With a dedicated support team, Wix can help you launch a complex website to help you run your entire business or a simple place for you to share your talents to the world. Whatever you are dreaming of, you'll need a website and Wix can help. Get started now by going to Wix.com. That's W-I-X dot com slash podcast to get 10% off when you upgrade your site. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter, tweeting them to us at Socks Machine, posting them on our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Machine, and helping support the site and the show at Patreon.com slash Machine. And again, with Jim out, answering your questions this week from 670 The Score is Herb Lawrence. And Herb, the first question that we have in the mailbag comes from Beef Loaf. And Beefloaf is asking you, can you give us the three best nicknames for the players currently on the White Sox?
2: Well, my favorite of the White Sox nicknames is Mal Tiempo, which is bad weather, and that belongs to Jose Abreu. I love that name; it just it just suits him well. Bad weather, and it seems like he's just like mm, just growling when he's saying that. Mal Tiempo. And then, um, even though I don't like the player, even though he's done well since he's come back from Triple A. Man of Steel by Adam Engel is a great nickname. I, I enjoyed that one. That was a smart one, even though he's not that big of a stolen bet, base threat. It's a smooth name to have for a person of his uh, of his stature. And I'm a fan of McCannon because it goes along with the guy. I mean, James McCann has surprised many here as a White Sox fan. I didn't think that we're going to get the type of production, the leadership, the defensive skills, and the offense that goes with James McCann. So yeah, McCann. In. what's up beef loaf. What's up people from one Oh
0: eight. What are we getting the shout out? So beef loaf. Thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Leonard Gore and Leonard is asking with Harold Baines in the hall of fame. Is he on the Mount Rushmore of African-American white Sox? And Leonard says yes. Along with Frank Thomas, Dick Allen and Bo Jackson.
2: Did a lot of researching on this and not a lot. I just looked over the African Americans who played for the White Sox and so um, we couldn't have Manny Minoso, not necessarily an African American or Afro-Cuban uh, player, but I would put him on there if we're just counting black players. Um, but also I looked at Jermaine Dye maybe but his, his tenure wasn't that long here as far as the rest of the guys that are on the list. Neither was Dickie Allens, but uh, I thought about putting on him here, but also, I looked at Albert Bell. His two years here were phenomenal, great times, but he was too much of a malcontent, and I couldn't put him on there. So I agree with you, Leonard. It is those four guys, Frank uh, Harrells, who I shook his hand the other day when I was in the, uh, the scout seats. His hands are huge. I didn't realize them. <laughs> I should think that a Major League Baseball player should have huge hands. But, yeah, he was great. Um, uh, Dickie Allen, and the last guy he mentioned was?
0: Bo Jackson.
2: Oh yeah. Uh, see, actually, I would take both. I'll take Linton Edward off, and I'll put uh, Jermaine Guy on that list.
0: Okay. What about someone like Ray Durham? Durham had a really good career with the White Sox.
2: He was really good. I I did like Rock and Ray, and I love the Rockin' Ray run. But when you're the World Series MVP, I think you get a little bit more of a push oh, than ab- a guy. Now, Bo Jackson, great ambassador for the White Sox, still lives in the area athlete um he was great but with his White Sox career wasn't that great it wasn't the Kansas City Royals it wasn't the Oakland Raiders LA Raiders type of thing he's a he's a name he's a great name but as far as players who played well as a White Sox player member no I'll put Jermaine Dye over there over um Bo Jackson
0: that's a great Mount Rushmore of White Sox players so great question Leonard thank you so much our next question comes from Skip Benita. and Skip is asking, do the White Sox have a better chance of acquiring either Noah Syndergaard or Nomar Mazzaria, and which player would you rather have?
2: Noah Syndergaard, but they have a better chance of getting Mazzara. I mean yeah, Mazzara, I, agree. I mean, Mazzara is pretty much um, topped out because he's – He's a perfect White Sox, let's say that. <laughs> I mean, he's a he's a guy that we would definitely pick up after he was DFA from a team. So, you know, go ahead and get Nomer Mazzara. no more Mazara. I mean, he's young enough where he can maybe catch an, uh, a, uh, uh, some development here at the major leagues. I think that's what they're trying to do with A.J. Reed, which still boggles the mind. He's a good pitcher, apparently, but hitting is like foreign to him. So, yeah Noma Mazara is probably the guy that the White Sox have a better chance of hitting, and I would much rather much rather have Noah Center.:
0: I'm totally with you. Looking into Noma Mazara, uh, he doesn't hit the fastball anymore. He used to crush it in his good. first two years, and speaking with some writers that cover the Texas Rangers, he's changed his approach. He's looking for breaking pitches and off speed mm. pitches and then adjusting to the fastball that's very opposite of what hitters try to do today. Uh that's why his weighted on base average is in the 280s against fastballs. That is not good. And you will not last very long. Why would long. you
2: do that in Why would you do that in Texas with that wind tunnel to the right center? I
0: don't know. That's why I'm like I'm just dumbfounded when I was looking at his stats because they were so good in his first two seasons. Against the fastball, and he struggled with curveballs and changeups, which you know that's what happens with young players. Look at Johan Makata, it takes some time to make adjustments. But when you go complete 180 and you're at the plate looking for changeups and breaking pitches to hit, and you can't catch up to the fastball, or you're trying to go inside out on every fastball thrown to you, I think that strategy is completely opposite. So Uh, we'll see what happens on that front. I don't expect a deal to happen again early in the show. I just think the White Sox would be selling off as far as Alex Colomay and Ivan Nova. But out of those two players, yeah, it's no more Mazzara. Uh, The White Sox are most likely to get it, And I'm with her. You'd rather have Noah Syndergaard. I think you'd be provide a much bigger boost for the White Sox. And our last question, I think is a bit of a heavy question that we'd like to call on this podcast where, it requires quite a bit of thinking. And this question comes from David. And David is asking the Minnesota Twins, the Atlanta Braves, and other teams had surprising breakout years ahead of their predicted rebuild schedule. What differences do you see between those teams and the White Sox?
2: I see, um, as you mentioned before, development in their minor league system, um, getting players that fit their. Their type of player. I mean, who saw the guy that Rosario is now? I mean, Eddie Rosario always killed the White Sox, but for the most part, he was doubles, um, slap hitting. But now he's turned that into power. Development at the major league level and the minor league level is still going on with them. We pretty much wrote off Byron Buxton and Miguel Sano. Now those people are contributors to a really good offense. And what ball does Byron Buxton not catch in the outfield? So they've you know had people, they had to throw Mar- Miguel Fano back to single A because he wasn't paying attention. He wasn't doing the things that he needed to do. And now he's the player, not, maybe not what they envisioned, but he's getting there. Same thing with Brian Buxton. Where's that White Sox guy? Like, when we have troubles here at the major league level, where's the guy that's you know coming back and saying, you know what, I know how to do things. You know what, Makata's done that? Where he had the struggles last year with the, taking the – uh, called uh, third, but we had one of those guys. He's a champion, but they we didn't draft that guy. That was drafted by. That was uh, signed by Boston. We acquired that guy. Where's the development going on in our system? And like I said, with Boomstick, with Nelson Cruz coming over, veterans like that coming over, uh, uh, Marwin Gonzalez coming over to Minnesota, Canada. Uh, winning culture guys who are uh, Oderizzi, who just come over and provide some good services for your team. They sign the right players on free agency. They're not breaking the bank for these guys, but they have good scouts at the pro level. They understand what they do in that ballpark, and they play to that. So, this is why the Minnesota Twins are better than the White Sox. This is why they have the success that they've had. And and me not being a manager guy, whatever Rockleball Deli's doing in that clubhouse is working, because they're two games ahead of the Cleveland Indians, and they're doing the things that... that we are surprised. They were at one time the best team in the American League, and now Cleveland's kind of caught fire, and they've slowed it down a little bit. But who thought Minnesota was going to be this good this fast? It's because of what they do with that team down low. And with the Atlanta Braves, firstly, they have a GM that's a, the evil genius. The deal that they signed um, Albie Albies to, that seven-year for $35 million deal, it's a high-rate, high-rate robbery. The agent for Ozzie Albi should be fired immediately, and the MLBPA should be having a, a, a meeting with those people and say, hey, hey, man, you're offering him pennies on the dollar for what he's going to be. I guess the kid just wanted some money, whatever. And Acuna, they've got development there. But also, they signed guys a couple years ago. Nick Markakis who's shown to be a great addition to that culture. Getting Josh Donaldson down there, great addition also. They get the right players down with a great great mix of um, players who, are, who have done it somewhere else and that still have some uh, talent left in their system or in their bodies with the development that goes down in the minor league system that continues on their major league level. So that's why those teams are better. We have very few players that have have ascended to where they need to be. I think Johan Mancada's is getting there. He will be the all-star level talent that we know he can be. Tim Anderson maybe eventually will be an all-star level player, and same thing with Eloy and Louis Robert. Whenever he gets here, will be great. But it's too few and far between. Our like with our major, with our minor league uh, prospects, very top-heavy. Where's the middling? Where's the guys who are just below that level that are getting us to the next level? All of these guys that I just mentioned, besides, excuse me, besides Tim Anderson were not drafted by the White Sox. Think about that. They, none of these guys were drafted by the White Sox. So these other teams are drafting their players, developing, turning these guys into stars, into guys that you can depend on every day. We can't just keep on trading for other people's prospects. We've got to hit on some of these prospects coming through our system. And like you went through the litany of names earlier. We went through the Mikkelshelskys and the, the, the Danishes. And the, all these guys, the Guerrero's, that they've had, and we talked about big time, man, this guy's going to be a great prospect. He's one of our top prospects in our system. And they fizzle out. So when's that going to happen? A guy these draft. now finally we're getting some traction with the good drafts by Hostet the last couple of years. got Matrical coming through fast. We got Juan coming through fast. And it's going to be good to see those guys go. Let's keep that momentum going.
0: And David... Using the 2018 Atlanta Braves as an example, because that team came out, came out of nowhere to win the National League East. First of all, their young talent, Ronald Acuna and Ozzie Albies and Johan Mar- uh, Carmago and Dansby Swanson, they performed better than the White Sox young guys. I mean, Ozzie Albies was a 3.8 war player last year. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. was a 4.1 war player. Eloy Jimenez is not going to reach that. So that's a big difference on why the Braves had a very surprising year. But for the Braves as well, Freddie Freeman was a six-war player in 2018. Like, the Braves had a superstar to help lead that, a superstar veteran. And we talk about Jose Abreu. Jose Abreu is like a a one-and-a-half to two-war type of player. The White Sox are counting on for leadership. The Braves have a six war player in the same position. I mean, that's why the Braves had that breakout year. Uh, And I think even when you use the Chicago Cubs, for example, John Lester was a huge boost for that Chicago Cubs team. In addition to all of their young players. That they had. When you bring on a veteran like Lester, it could help boost everyone's game. And then, of course, uh, I don't know if you want to call it luck, but go back to player development. They fix Jake Arrieta and make Jake Arrieta into a Cy Young Award winner, and that's why the Cubs had a big boost. They were able to develop their own in-house talent, but then they went out and they signed a key free agent to help them. The Braves, they had a veteran superstar in Freddie Freeman. They call all these kids up at the same time, and they all click, and they have monster seasons. This could happen for the White Sox next year. They are going to be a very popular national media dark horse pick to win the American League Central or make it into the wild card. The chances of them ha- of that happening are probably going to be more similar to the Atlanta Braves, where they're going to need all the kids to click, and then they're going to need that veteran to be that five or six war player. It'll be kind of odd to say, well, Johan Makata needs to be the veteran. Freddie Freeman when he's only like going to be 25 next year. <laughs> but but that's what's going to have to happen for the White Sox to have this surprising breakout year is that Yohan Mikado needs to be a six-war player. Aloy Jimenez needs to be a four-win player. Luis Robert needs to be a four-war player. Uh, Nick Magical has got to be like Dan Swanson, be at least a two-war player. They need the veterans to play up to their level. They cannot have any injuries whatsoever because we know that they don't have depth. That's what they're going to need, David, to have a breakout year. So the kids click. Yoan Mikada continues to be Yoan Makata, and they stay healthy. That's how they can have a breakout year in 2020, and they can be at re- ahead of rebuild schedule. But for the Braves, they did it because Freddie Freeman was a six-war player, and the kids clicked. And for the Cubs, in-house development, player development, fixed Jake Arrieta, and they signed John Lester. And that's why – They had a big, surprising breakout year in 2015. That helped them win the World Series in 2016. The Braves won the National League East in 2018. We'll see what happens in 2019 for the Atlanta Braves. But, David, that is an excellent question. Thank you so much for asking it. And that will do it for this edition of PO Socks. Thank you guys so much for submitting your questions. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to tackle in a future episode of the Socks Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Socks Machine. Like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Socks Machine and also helping support the site and the show by signing up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine where you guys can get additional content from us not only from every podcast, but additional writing as well from Jim and I throughout the season. So if you like our work and you'd like to support us, go to patreon.com slash Socks Machine to sign up today. And that will do it for this episode of the Socks Machine podcast. I want to thank our guest, RJ Anderson from CBS Sports, joining the show to talk about possible MLB expansion and the latest leading up to the Major League Baseball trade rumors. And I want to thank our fill-in co-host for this episode, Herb Lawrence from 670 The Score. Herb, you are awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to fill in for Jim and greatly appreciate talking about the White Sox with you.
2: Josh, thank you for having me. And I appreciate Jim having me sit in his spot for this week. And I appreciate all your listeners out there. Thank you very much.
0: And again, that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine podcast. If you just discovered the show, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Herb Lawrence, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. To show you how easy it is to file a claim with GEICO, we hired sports commentator Dick Vitale.
2: Tonight's matchup is me versus an ugly fender bender. If I can eat got a win, it would be a miracle,
0: baby. Um, Mr. Vitale, it wouldn't be a miracle because GEICO gives you a team of experts to help manage your claim.
2: That's gonna be a nail-biter.
0: Nope, the GEICO team is there for you 24-7.
2: Now that's a dipsy dude, the guru of a claims team. GEICO is awesome, baby, with a capital A.
0: GEICO, great service without all the drama.